Hi, and welcome to another episode of Mrs. Motivation with me, your host, Chrissy Clemente. Today, I'm very excited to have with me my good friend, Tina. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Christina. I'm excited to be here, too. So a little bit about how Tina and I know each other. When in my past life, when I was a teacher a couple years ago, we actually met teaching together. So I was a speech therapist for uh, the children that Tina worked with in the classroom. And we just became fast friends. She's an unbelievable soul. She's very passionate. She's very driven. And she's just one of those people that hands out hugs all the time. (laughs) She's very sweet and kind. And we just began to really develop a relationship together. And that, I guess, the rest is history. Tina and I continued to stay friends after I had to leave my job. So on the day that I was injured, I was actually talking to Tina in the hallway. I don't even know what we were talking about. Probably a beach trip. I think we were talking about the beach. We were talking about getting excited for the summer, planning our first beach trip. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it was nonsense. The kids weren't even in school yet. They were just getting off the buses, I think. And, you know, we're just standing in the hallway talking to each other. And next thing I know, I'm knocked out on the ground just in pain pretty much all over my body. And Tina was the last thing that I kind of remembered seeing and and hearing. And I know this might sound crazy to a lot of people who don't believe in this woo-woo stuff, but I think that Tina was in front of me for a reason. I think she was the person that got sent in front of me to kind of protect me and make sure that I didn't get hurt any further than I was. There's just something so amazing about her. And I think that she was just like an earth angel to me that day. So of course, I wanted to maintain my friendship with her as I decided that I had to leave that job. And and I really just wanted her in my life. Aside from that, I've had many dreams, including Tina, that we'll get into later on the show. But she is just an unbelievable person. And I'm excited for you guys to hear a little bit more about what she's going to share It's not going to be our typical second chance dreamer show where we talk about a career that she had and she left. It's going to be more about her personal journey with her pregnancy and her children. And I think that it can resonate with a lot of women out there and a lot of families that suffer from the same thing. So I just want to have Tina tell us a little bit about herself. So as Christina said, I am currently still a special education teacher. So I've dedicated basically all of my adult life to taking care of other people's children. Honestly, I just always really knew that I was meant to be a mom. I've been uh, working as a special education teacher for the past 10 years. I'm married to a wonderful man named Matthew. He and I have been together for five years. It's coming up on three years married. And I live in Rockland. My whole family still lives here. We still have dinner once a week all together, all of us crazies. Yeah, we just bought our first home. So that's really fun too. She's just an unbelievable Pretty soul. simple girl, I guess. No, I mean, you, <laughs> when you, it's funny. The people kind of break themselves down into like two or three sentences, but you're so much more than just your little <laughs> intro. So don't don't say like you're a simple person. We're all complex people with complex lives. Right. But, we, you know, when we kind of break it down, we simplify ourselves. Yeah. You know, sometimes too much. 
So as I said earlier, I had a dream about Tina while we were working together. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit about me. I will have dreams with people. Sometimes they're nonsense and sometimes they mean something and they will come true. And in this particular case, I had a dream that Tina was pregnant after she had gotten married. We got married the same year, actually. Mm -hmm. And in this dream, it was this rose that came to me and it had Tina in it. And I was like, oh my God, Tina's pregnant. She's going to have a girl. Like I just knew all of these things. So, of course, I went up to her the next day. I'm pretty sure it was. And I was like, Tina, are you pregnant? Like, what's going on? (laughs) And I, in fact, was pregnant. I had found out not that long. I had just found out, like, right before you had that dream, actually, with my daughter, uh, Mia. So, tell me a little bit about your pregnancy with Mia. So, Mia was planned. My grandmother had just passed away. So we, we were already planning on trying to have a baby, but we were a little bit saddened that she was not going to get to be there to see her and meet her. My nonna, she had just passed away in January. And in, I believe it was like March, we started trying. And the first, the first month, basically one month we were trying and then I got pregnant right away with Mia. And we were so completely excited because we were anticipating having a baby and we were excited that it happened so quickly and so easily. Everything was going pretty normal and pretty well. You know, we had a couple of little things, you know, normal test results because now they test you for everything. And so any little blip that comes up is scary, but nothing major. Everything was fine. She was growing healthily. And the last thing I remember was going to my second trimester screening. So I was a little more than 20 weeks pregnant. So I was more than halfway through my pregnancy. And Matt couldn't be there with me. So my mom came and I just remember the whole time that I was supposed to be enjoying watching her. I was sad because I, because my husband wasn't with me for this appointment. It was the very next day and I was home. And I remember I was home all day that day, which would end up being a blessing that I didn't know about. It was a a day I was home the whole day. And then my husband came home from work and he was like, why don't we go to Babies R Us when Babies R Us still existed and we'll pick out some bedding for the crib. And I was like, okay, we're excited. Let's go. And while I was in Babies R Us, all of a sudden it felt like I had like peed my pants. Like that's what it felt like. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, I don't know. Like, but it was enough that we were looking around and I was like, let's just go home. Like I'm uncomfortable, you know, went home, figured, oh, nothing's wrong. Like at that point in your pregnancy, you're not thinking that anything can go wrong. You think, you know, most people think, okay, after 12 weeks, I can tell people it's safe now. I waited until the very next day. And I think The next day, you know, it's funny, the things that we tell ourselves. So I think I knew in my heart something was wrong, but I just didn't want to believe it at that time. So it sounds ridiculous. But the next day I went to a water park with my sister and and my niece and my sister and I were pregnant together. So we were about a month apart. This was still happening. It still felt like water kept coming out, kept coming out. She actually called her cousin she was like, you need to call the doctor. This is, this is very serious. And when I called the doctor, the doctor was like, you need to go to a hospital. And at this point, I still wasn't thinking something was seriously wrong. 
But they thought it was serious enough that they wanted me to go to the hospital nearest where I was. But I was like, no, like, let's just go home. I'm fine. I feel fine. I'm not having any contractions. There's nothing wrong. And when I got to the hospital, they did a test and it turned out that my water had broken. And at this day and age, you think, oh, it's going to be fine. Like we can go, we can do surgery on babies now. We can do so many things. And you'd be surprised because they're, I was told so many times in the next 48 hours that, that there was nothing anybody could do and that there was no scenario that, that my daughter was going to survive that. So when this all happened, I was about 21, I was almost 21 weeks pregnant. Babies are unable to survive outside of the womb until 24 weeks. So I was just shy of that time period, like very, very shy of it. It's unfortunate because nowadays, I mean, they don't even consider her a life, but that's a whole nother story. But she was our daughter. I mean, she always will be our daughter. And um, I will never forget. I, I mean, it, the the situation was very unfortunate. So None of the doctors who were treating me during my pregnancy, meaning just general care, none of them were there when I went to the hospital. I was transported over to Westchester Medical Center and I thought, okay, they're going to tell me something different. But no, they told me the same thing. I must have seen five different doctors in the 72-hour ordeal that we went through, but not a single one of them was was from the practice that was providing care for me, nor did any of them ever call. They don't have a separate area for women like me who were basically in a scenario where I was told, I mean, I will never forget the last, the whole time I, it was so surreal because as they're telling me that she's not going to survive, I'm feeling her kicking and moving around inside of me because she is alive and she was there. And I will never forget, it was maybe a couple hours into labor and she was so small that she couldn't even survive the labor. And I remember when I stopped feeling her moving. I remember that. I remember knowing that, that she wasn't moving anymore. They don't have a separate area for women like me who are, who were in that moment, I was giving birth to my baby, knowing full well that she was not going to come home with me next to a woman in labor who is full term. And there's a lot of different dynamics between the whole scenario and how it unfolded. After it was, it must've been like 22 hours of labor, 20 hours of labor, 22. And our daughter was born at 5.55 on August 24th at 21 weeks. I was in such a state of shock. I don't really, I mean, I, I, there was no doctor there because it's very unfortunate that the medical system because they knew that she was not going to survive. I think that it wasn't, and I know that I wasn't given the type of like attention that you would be typically given during labor. So I was laboring basically just by myself in my room with my mom and my husband who never left my side, either of them for three days. They were in the hospital with me, neither of them left. But I think some things for our brain are just so traumatic that we block them out. So I, I remember getting up and going into the bathroom and getting onto the bathroom floor. And then I remember being in the hospital bed and holding our daughter who had already passed away. But I don't remember going from one to the other. I don't remember being, I don't remember how, I know that my mom and my husband, who 
the three of us talk about her constantly, but I think that portion of the whole thing, none of us have really ever really talked about just because I think it was just as traumatic for them as it was for me that my mom and my husband basically delivered like my, our daughter. She was absolutely beautiful. Um, as small as she was, she was very small. She was just over a pound, I think, but she had fingernails and she had a freckle on her nose. I will never forget that. And at the time it was the, probably the hardest thing that I think I've ever had to go through my life because I couldn't understand, you know, God, like why, why let me get to this point with her, you know, like now but it ended up being such a blessing because I'm so thankful that I got to see, I, that I know that she had a freckle on her nose, that I know that she had my husband's hands. And I got to see those things. And she is and was real. Uh, we named her. Her name was Mia and her middle name Conchatina, which was my nonna's name, the one who had passed away right before I found out that I was pregnant with her. And she, since she came so quick, like I said, my nonna had passed away in January. In the hospital, when a baby is born that early, they don't really consider it as like, it sounds really bad to say, but as like a person. And so the next day or two after I had given birth to her, I was so stressed out because someone had told me that if I didn't figure out what I wanted to do with her, that they would dispose of her with the other babies that were, or the other, they didn't call her a baby. Like actually there was only one person in the hospital that referred to her as my daughter. And I'll get into that in just a moment. Someone had told me that they would dispose of her with the other like stillborn fetuses or whatever they call them. And that they send them to a cemetery, but they all get kind of put into the same, there's no markings. It's just, they're all put in the same area. And so after giving birth, like going through labor, holding our daughter and trying to just process that. I was also stressed out because I'm like, I mean, how would I, I don't know what to do. I never thought that I would be, I don't know who I'm supposed to call, how to arrange this. And the only thing that I could think of was that I wanted her to be with my nonna who had just died. That it sounds ridiculous, but I just didn't want her to be alone. Like I didn't want her to be buried somewhere and So in the midst of this whole panic, you know, they wanted the social worker to come and see me to be discharged. And she was just worried about, you know, whatever things she needed to check off on her list of like, did we talk to her about this? Did we talk to her about that? And this one nurse, Grace, who I haven't properly thanked her. And at some point I do plan to reach out to her. She was trying to get me to eat breakfast and I hadn't eaten in three days. And I just kept saying, I just want to go home. I just want to get out of here. And she was like, well, why are you in such a rush to leave? And I said, because Mia was born on a, I believe it was a Thursday. And so this was the next day. This was a Friday and it was in the morning and I needed to figure out, I said to her, they told me I only have 48 hours to figure out what to do with our daughter. I don't want her disposed of. So I need to go home so I can try to figure this out because I only have, the weekend is here and I I only have the today basically to figure this out. 
And she took her clipboard and everything she was holding in her hand. She put it down on the table, sat down in the hospital bed with me and just held my hands and said, no one is going to do anything with your daughter unless you say that it's okay. And she was the only person. She was the only person that ever called her my daughter. But that is Mia. She will always be my firstborn. I still think about her every single day. I'm very open. I talk about her all the time because I quickly realized that the only thing worse than losing her would be to pretend like it didn't happen or that she didn't exist. And although it sometimes does make other people uncomfortable that I'm so open and honest about her existing, I've realized that that's not my problem. And that if it doesn't make me uncomfortable, it shouldn't really make anybody else uncomfortable. Well, first of all, I should start by saying that I'm really sorry about what happened to Mia and you. And you know that I've said that to you before. And I've I've prayed for you Mm -hmm. constantly. But no woman should ever have to go through that or be treated the way that you were treated at the hospital. You said that you wanted Mia to be with Nona. Correct. So how, how did that work out? Oh, that actually was another miracle that happened. So... Obviously, going through this, I mean, I I believe in God. And I believed in God through all of this, but I was very angry with him. And I did not feel his presence at all. And it's only looking back that now I can see the blessings and all of it. So she had just passed. My nona had just passed away. And at the cemetery that she's buried in, in Sleepy Hollow, they bury babies separately from adults because the plots sizes are very different, obviously. But because my nun had just passed away and they remembered our family because we had just been there, they made an exception for Mia and they buried her right next to my nonna. And I found out that day that from my father, I didn't find out until after we left, but that there was, they did not charge our family for a single thing. That when a situation like that happens where a baby passes away, that they consider it the least that they could do for the family who's already going through so much. So we were not charged for anything. We weren't charged for the funeral. We weren't charged for the burial. And so she is, she is buried right next to my nonna. They share part of their name. Uh, Conchatina D'Amico was my nonna and Mia Conchatina is our daughter. And so they're both buried in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery next to each other. That's beautiful. And you still visit her often? Yes, I do. We were just there actually... A couple of weeks ago, because my nonna's birthday just passed, January 30th. So we were all just there. It was, I've been there before. It was my husband's first time going to the grave since we buried her in 2017. And he did okay. You know, it's, we all have different ways of grieving and we go through that in different, in different stages and different ways. And I think my husband had a lot more anger than I did funny enough, not funny, but strangely enough, he had a lot more anger. And so it took him a lot longer to be able to actually face it in such a concrete way by like going and seeing the stone and seeing, seeing it all there laying out in front of you. What was, you know, I know that you said that you see the blessing in it now, but what were some of the emotions that you went through after her passing? So many different ones. So obviously hopelessness. I mean, and a lot, a lot of self-blame. And and it was really, really hard because 
I really didn't even know that anything like that could happen, strangely enough. I didn't know it was possible for your water to break halfway through your pregnancy. And it's interesting that I'm a worrier. So I worry a lot about everything all the time. I have a lot of anxiety just as a person. And it's been an interesting journey just seeing that the things that really will shake you, the things that really bring you to places you didn't think that you could come back from are the things that never even crossed your mind. You know, so I would, I didn't worry about that for a second of my pregnancy. Afterward, I blamed myself, even though in my mind, I knew, in my mind, I knew that it wasn't my fault. Uh, I had a lot of different doctors tell me that. I still felt like it was my fault. I felt like I had one job. I had one job and that was to keep her safe. And I couldn't do that. Even down to saying, if I tell you, I, I said to the doctors at one point, if I tell you that I don't care what happens to me, like take me out of the equation, is there anything that you can do? For me? And the answer was just no. There was no, that even, there was just no. It was just, there was no, there was no light in that point. And so I blamed myself. I did. I blamed myself. I felt like I failed her. I felt like I failed my husband. I felt so terrible that this was our first experience entering into parenthood. There were, there were days where I felt like I, maybe I was being punished for something I had done wrong, that I didn't know how to keep going. I mean, it was really uh, some of the deepest grief I've ever felt, feeling like your whole life just changed. My whole life changed in that one instant. And when I woke up that morning, I didn't think my life was going to change like that. I woke up that day pregnant and everything was great. And little did I know what was about to happen later that day. But yeah, it just, everything felt so bleak. Everything felt so bleak. It just felt like there's this movie. I forgot what it, oh, uh, not movie. There's a, uh, a show, Stranger Things. And in that show, they talk about the place called The Upside Down. Have you seen it? Yes. That is what every day felt like for a while, for a while. It felt like everything looked the same. I was still there. My family was still there. My husband was still there. But everything was just wrong, like wrong. I don't know. It was like living in an alternate reality for a period of time. It really was. And all this was within our first year of marriage, too, as you had said earlier. You know, my husband and I had just been married in um, July of 2016. This was all happening in August of 2017. So we were just past our first wedding anniversary, which brought a whole nother level to it all. How did it impact your marriage? You know, I have to say, in all honesty, it actually made us so much stronger. But that's because I quickly realized that I had married the right person because I could see that if you were not in a marriage that you were supposed to be in, or if you don't have a way of loving the other person almost more than yourself in some ways, I could see how it could completely destroy your marriage. We really, really united together. We gave each other space to feel what we needed to feel. I mean, and it wasn't pretty. I mean, there were moments where either one of us was just on the floor, just screaming because there's nothing, there's no place to put that kind of grief. It's like, what do you do with it? There's nothing you can do to change it. There's, you just have to either find a way 
to keep going or choose not to and spiral down into even worse circumstances. But I think what helped us was that we both were on the same page about not denying that it happened. And so she was our daughter and we were united in that. We both just stayed together. I mean, we really, we stayed together. We talked about it if we were having moments and if we couldn't talk about it in that moment, we were very honest with each other. In a weird way, we kind of took turns falling apart. I mean, there's something to be said about seeing someone that you love in so much pain and still feeling the pain yourself, but kind of being able to take a second and say, okay, he needs me more right now. Or him be, him looking at me feeling like complete failure and saying, okay, she needs me to be strong right now, but also being united in that brokenness. I don't know if that makes any sense, but finding strength for the other person in those moments where they are so weak that they can't find the strength themselves. And there were times that we both broke down together. And honestly, in a, in a strange way, I mean, I know that for some men, it is difficult because they don't feel, not all men, but some men don't feel as connected until the birth of the baby. And obviously we did birth, I birthed our daughter Mia, so he was able to see her and hold her. But I think just seeing that he felt the same way that I did, that she, she's our baby, she'll always be our baby. And that it really was truly a loss seeing how much he loved her, even without having ever being able to see her crawl or see her walk or, you know, play with her or, or feed her or any of that, that seeing how much he loved her just really made me love him in a way that I didn't know I could. Seeing that softness to his heart and that he, he didn't let it harden him. He let it, he let it hurt because if you don't let it hurt, something far worse happens to your, to your soul when you don't like own that kind of pain, you know? I, I love him so much and I, I'm, I'm just remembering him in those moments where I couldn't even take care of myself. And he was a source of strength for me. So was my family, my parents, my, my sister who was still pregnant. Was that hard for you? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, but it wasn't because I loved, it was hard for me. Obviously I was sad. I was sad because I, wa- I was so excited at the thought of them growing up together. But more it was it was the hardest part about it was just worrying about something like that happening to her or feeling like I know that my sister in a lot of ways I think felt terrible that almost like she had done something wrong because she was still pregnant and we had conversations about that where it was not I did not feel that way at all I know some women do go through that and that's totally normal too for me I had this ability and I honestly don't know where it came from the strength other than from God I don't know how how I was able to, in the midst of all of it, process it this way. But I just was so able to see that if I didn't find a way to not let that aspect of it be another thing, that it was just going to damage my relationship with my sister and with my niece who was already born and with the niece that my sister was carrying. And I just couldn't let that happen. One thing that was difficult was when when she did go into labor and she, my second niece, Savannah, was born. I have two nieces from my sister, Olivia and Savannah, who's just now turned, she turned a year in November. So she's a little over a year now. I went immediately the second that I found out that she had just had the baby. And I went, Matthew and I, and this was just, I mean, she was born in November. So this was just a few months after we had lost Mia. And coincidentally, she was in the same room that I was in. So the, the room that I was brought to when I first went to the hospital to first find out that my water had broken and 
the first time that someone had ever said to me, she's not going to make it. That was the room that my sister was in when she had Savannah. So when I walked in to meet my niece for the first time, that was the room that I was walking in. And it was such a constellation of emotions. I mean, I know we always say that all these moments, they have so many emotions intertwined, but it was like, I was just so thankful that my niece was okay. Like after having experienced such a tragedy, I was so thankful that she was okay and that she was there and that I was holding her and that my sister was okay. And it was like watching a different ending. Like it was, it was really in a weird way, like seeing it, especially just the juxtaposition of it being in the same room. And it was just so, it was just, it was interesting. It was, it was obviously hard. I mean, I had a lot of feelings about it, but mostly it was just surreal at, at see, holding my niece and, and thinking about those moments where like I should have been holding my daughter. But I feel like saying everything happens for a reason sounds so cliche in moments like this. And in the moment that I lost my daughter, that certainly was the furthest thing from my mind. I was not thinking that way. I was thinking, how the hell am I going to keep going? But it was a choice that I will tell you. I remember a couple weeks after I lost my daughter and I remember I was sitting outside and, you know, depression, it brings self-destruction. And so I was sitting outside and I was smoking a cigarette on my deck and my husband was inside. And I just remember sitting there and having this realization that I felt like giving up. I did. I felt like giving up. I felt like giving up on everything. But that I could either choose to find a way to find a new normal and keep going, or that I could just systematically destroy everything else that was still good in my life. Because there was still good in the midst of all of that. You know, like, I, I mean... I had just lost my daughter. It was the worst thing I ever have had to experience in my life. But I had a husband next to me, in it with me. I mean, in it with me, not just looking at me like it had happened to me, in it. And I had parents and family and friends who brought food and stayed if I needed them to stay and left if I needed them to leave and helped to just pick up whatever pieces were left. And so many amazing women that went before me through things like this that reached out to me privately to tell me, me too, this happened to me too. And I think there is such a secrecy around it that there were people I knew my whole life that never, I never would have known that this had happened to. And then it happened to me. And it was like, all of a sudden it was okay for them to share that with me. Or all of a sudden they felt free to do that. Those were some of the people that were also really helpful to me telling me that I wasn't going crazy because there are moments where you feel like you're going crazy, telling me that it was okay to feel whatever I was feeling, that it was okay to laugh again, that it was okay to smile again, because there is a piece of it where you kind of tell yourself this horrible thing happened. And that means that if I let myself feel anything other than sadness, that that's wrong too, that that's also not okay. So I mean, there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot mixed up in all of it. How are you able to go from the upside down back into normal life again? By this, and I don't necessarily, I mean, I could tell you how it happened for me. I don't know that that's how it happened for everybody or anybody else for that matter, just because I do believe that we are all different. What did it for me was forcing myself to just get up and go. And so as crazy as this sounds, because Mia was born on August 24th. I went back to work 
that September, that first week of September, I went back to work because the thought of taking a six-week maternity leave of time that I was supposed to be spending with my daughter, but she wouldn't be there, was worse than just getting up and trying to do something, anything else. And I didn't know how I was going to be able to do that. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. But I knew that no amount of staying home was going to bring her back. Because if it would, I would have still been there now. That's what I told myself. I said, I can stay here and I can sit in this because my husband had to go back to work. I was like, I can stay home and I can sit here and just tell myself over and over and over again that it's my fault and run through every scenario in my mind of, did you do too much? Did you not do enough? Did you pick something up that day? Did you, you know, did you breathe the wrong air? Did you think about something horrible and so something horrible happened to you? Or I can try to do something that I know will bring light and goodness into this world. I love my job. I love the kids that I work with. And you know, we work there together. We work with the most severely disabled children. And I said to myself, well, my baby is not here for me to take care of, but there's six children who need someone to understand and take care of them. And while that may be hard, I'm going to do what I would have taught my daughter to do and just try to keep going no matter what happens, trying to make something beautiful out of something tragic. It doesn't mean that there weren't days where I was there and it was hard. I mean, it was hard taking care of other people's children. I wanted to take care of my own, but I genuinely believe that that saved my life. I think that having something to do, having somewhere to put my energy to feel like I was doing something good in the world really helped me to stop feeling so horrible about myself because after losing her, I felt, I think I felt really bad about myself. And I think I've always struggled with different things. We all tell ourselves negative lies, like, you know, I'm not pretty enough or I'm not skinny enough or I'm not a good enough mother, whatever it is. I think that feeling like I was doing something good for somebody else in turn ended up helping me to heal myself too. So that was one thing that helped me out of the upside down. The other thing was not isolating. I, it was very hard after she was gone because I love other people a lot. I love my family a lot. And I actually felt through all of it, felt really bad that they had to see me in such pain. And so there was a piece of me that really did not want to be around my parents, that did not want to be around my sister or my siblings, not because I didn't love them, but because I was trying to spare them. I mean, I, because I couldn't hide it. I couldn't act like everything was fine. I couldn't, you know, I could keep going, but I would be honest that some moments just, I needed to cry or I knew that if I isolated, that was worse. And so it ended up really creating a healthy dynamic within my family where we talk about her. She will always be a part of our family, even though she's not here, just because I couldn't, li- I couldn't live without my family, but I also couldn't be around them and not be honest about it. And they were really supportive in that. In moments where I felt really bad that they had to see me like that, they would just look at me and say, that they were proud of me, that they didn't think that they would be able to do what I was doing. And I won't forget that either because I didn't feel so proud of myself. (laughs) I didn't. That was the last thing I felt. So finding things to do that were going to make me feel like I was doing something good and not letting myself do what was easier, which was just to hide away in my grief and 
shut myself down in it. And, you know, so those two things, making sure that I stayed around good quality people and not bottling, not bottling it up. I know you mentioned that you have a strong faith in God. I do. Now, did you also go to therapy? Were you ever put on, because I know a lot of women have to go on antidepressants, go into therapy, you know, do all of these outside things, or were you just able to kind of heal yourself without all of that? Me personally, I did not go to therapy. I wasn't put on any type of antidepressants. I do think that I could have been, but I continued going to church despite the fact that in a lot of ways, I really wanted to tell God to go F himself at that time. But I had to believe that that was okay too, because otherwise we couldn't, be, we couldn't have a relationship either. Honestly, I didn't go to therapy. I don't know. I don't know that I should have. I actually didn't go to any support groups either. I was advised to. I was. I, I was given, given information about a couple of different support groups who a lot of people said that they really helped. A lot of women that had this happen to them before me actually had recommended the same support groups that the hospital did. For me, personally, I just didn't feel like it was going to help me. I don't know why. I just didn't, I just didn't feel like that was going to help me. I felt like I needed to find a way to just make it part of, not make it because it was, it changed who I am, but find a way to make it just part of my story and not to try like what we were just talking about, just to see the blessing in it, as crazy as that sounds. So at the time when I was looking at my daughter, not alive, that was not what I was thinking. And it wasn't until months later that I was driving. I'll never forget it. I was driving because my one of my girlfriends had given me a necklace that she had Mia's footprints put into. She gave it to me. And so I have it in my car. So her actual footprints scaled down, of course, are in my, my car hanging on my visor. And I was driving and I look, I look at them every day. But for some reason that day, I thought about that freckle. I thought about the freckle that she had in her nose. And there is never a good time to lose a baby. Miscarriage, stillbirth, after they're born and you've been raising them. I mean, losing a child is losing a child. And I will say that. And in the moment, it seemed to me like why? Because the only difference is just that I had to go through labor. So I had to actually labor and birth her and then say goodbye. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was not a miscarriage. But regardless of that, in that moment, for whatever reason, when I was driving and it was a journey, I mean, I, like I said, I was very honest with people about it. I was honest with people at work about it. I was honest with people in my personal life about it, strangers in the street. But for whatever reason, that day I was able to say, I'm so thankful in a crazy, this sounds insane. I'm aware of this, but I was so thankful that I was at the point in my pregnancy that I had to deliver her because that freckle in that moment became a gift that I could see when I think about her, because I know that women who have a miscarriage, those are their children too. And they never get to see their baby's face. And while it was traumatic to have to go through labor and have to bury my daughter, no one can take that freckle from me ever, ever. Like I will look at, I will forever be able to think about her and know exactly what she looked like, know exactly who she looked like. And so it's those small moments of reframing that took time. It did. It took, it took time. Collecting all of those that kind of led me to a place where I feel healthier about all of it and not in, in despair. So that was kind of my therapy, was finding little ways to say things that I was thankful for. 
That's a great way to describe it. Yeah, that's what it was. It was just little moments like that where I would say, or I would think about whatever it was about something that my husband had did for me. And I was saying, I'm so thankful that I had someone going through it with me because there are a lot of people that even within a marriage go through it alone and that don't, you know, I mean, I've known women who have had miscarriages and their partner just doesn't understand the grief that comes along with that. And so in the midst of all the sadness, just trying to find those things where I was like, there's these, these gifts and it's so easy to not see them. And that's, that's valid too. I mean, I was in points where I couldn't see them either. I mean, in the first couple of weeks after losing her, there was nothing good about anything. <laughs> Finding ways to just look back on it all and see those gifts made what was my therapy. That was how I kind of went through life, trying to just appreciate what I still had and see that my daughter showed me that I had strength I didn't even know possible showed me that I had faith in God, even when it was hard. And I didn't want to believe that he existed because that meant that he let that happen. Not that he made it happen, but that he let it happen. And I don't know that I'll ever fully know why, but it was certainly a journey. I mean, it was a journey. It changed me. It could have changed me for the worse. I think I really worked really hard to kind of force it to change me for the better because I just took a look at what that would look like. Like, am I going to let this make me worse or make me better? Am I going to let this make me fall apart or help it to turn me into something stronger? Am I going to hide this away or am I going to try to use it to help myself and other people realize how connected we are? Because grief is grief is grief is grief. Pain is pain is pain. Love is love. We are all united in that. And that's really what I believe. I believe it's so important to share those parts of ourselves because when you're scared of being vulnerable, it does lots of things. And so I was never afraid to say, hey, I'm broken right now. I am broken. I'm not okay. It doesn't mean I'll never be okay. But if you're broken too, that's okay too. It doesn't mean you're never going to be okay either. And I think that doing that does a lot for your heart. It does a lot for your soul. And that's therapeutic in and of itself is just being able to accept yourself for how, where you're at in that process, that if you don't feel like getting out of bed that day, that that's okay. Just don't stay there. That's okay. Just don't stay there. Like there were days where I didn't feel like getting out of bed and that's okay too. If I needed to stay in bed that day, then I needed to stay in bed that day, but I'm not going to stay in that place. I'm going to find a way to get up and move somehow. And I mean, I've found, you know, people that, that have needed to hear this story. I mean, I don't know if it's going to help anybody now, but I, I know that it has. I know it's it's impacted my father. It's impacted my mother. It's impacted, you know, you, my friends. And that's why I'm so open about it. I, I There's no question that I think I shouldn't be asked. I, I actually encourage it because if anyone thinks that I'm not thinking about it already, they're wrong. So it's okay to ask questions. And that's how I am just with, with anyone about it. I think that anybody who goes through anything can resonate with parts and pieces of your struggle. You know, I mean, everybody struggles with something that they go through. Realizing that you can take little moments, small little miracles to help you out of it, no matter what you've been through, is a tool that someone can use to help heal themselves. I know that sharing this isn't easy, so I'm think, I thank you so much oh my gosh, no, for sharing you. it. But I think that 
there are so many women out there, like you said, who don't talk about it. Right. Because it really hurts them. And then something that you have repeated several times is that when you don't aren't when you aren't vulnerable mm-hmm. and you swallow these emotions, yep. something hardens you. You can be angry, you can have resentment, yep. you can your hopelessness just ends up building up and you become a different person. Yes. It's like a seed that you don't even know you're planting. And before you know it, it has sprouted through your whole body. And you keep feeding And you that. keep feeding that, right. Every time that you swallow it, every time you pretend like it's not there, you're just watering it. And it's just growing and growing. And before you know it, it's no longer a seed you can just pluck. It's like systemic. Like it's through you. And like you said, it can change you for the worse. It can make you a, diff- a completely different person. What advice would you give other women, husbands, and families that have been through this to help heal them? Definitely just be open. Don't be afraid of your own emotions and don't be afraid of, not to say don't care about how you're impacting other people, but don't let your fear of other people's emotions impact you just experiencing your pain and being honest about it. People have said, also try not to take things personally. That's another big one. I mean, people said, and still do, and it's not out of any malice. I mean, I've had people who really don't understand. I've had people even just, just this week actually say, oh, you gave her a name. So, and again, so when you, when you take things like that personally, because it hurts, it does hurt. All it does is feed that seed. It waters that seed. So I've tried to, uh, the best advice I could say is be honest about how you feel. Love yourself through all of it. Be okay with whatever you need to feel. And don't take things that people just say without thinking. Don't take it personally because I had lots of people say lots of things that were well-intentioned, but very hurtful. As you now know, I mean, I don't know if I should get into this now or not, but I did end up having a second daughter. And when I was pregnant with her, I had people say, oh, are you just going to use the same name? Or, oh, you're really going to have a baby this time? Or, you know, things that were just very insensitive. And it wasn't, it wasn't that they were trying to hurt me. It was just that they didn't have a framework to understand. They just didn't understand. And so when you, when you tell yourself that instead of getting all worked up about it, because you're just going to hurt yourself more. And so, yeah, don't take all of it personally because People don't know what to say. And some, some people just don't say anything. And some people just say things just because they feel like they need to say something. And I guess the best advice I could give is just don't give up. As ridiculous as that sounds, just don't give up. Whatever that looks like for you. If that means that you need to take some time for yourself to get back to where you want to be, fine. If that means that you need to go to therapy, great. If that means that you want to start a walk in honor of someone or that you want to start a podcast, you know, whatever it is, just don't, don't give up because even in, in moments where you feel like it's never going to get any better, you won't even give it a chance to, if you give up on yourself, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen quickly. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight, but that you will, you'll prevent love and light and good things from happening in your life if you let the bad things make you give up on your own life. Because only you can do that for you. Only I could do that for myself. I had a husband that loved me. I had parents that loved me. I had a job. But if I didn't say to myself, I don't give up on me, none of that would have mattered. None of it would have mattered. 
it would have just it would have just become destroyed just like everything else at that point. So that would be the best three things. Be patient with yourself. Be honest about how you feel. Don't take other people's stuff personally because that's about them. It's not about you. And yeah, just don't give up. Just keep keep going. Keep going. Whatever that means. I'm a mess over here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a mess. I am too. It's okay. <laughs> I just... I feel... Like, obviously, I, my husband and I don't have any children. And we've never, I've never had to go through this pain. But, and I'm not making this about me at all. But I feel like what I'm going through right now, getting injured and having lost my job. And, I mean, I feel so hopeless a lot of the time. Which is funny because the show is Mrs. Motivation. But there are so many days and moments in those days where I feel so uninspired and like like I deserved what happened to me. Yep. And, um, and you didn't. And I didn't. But still having to go through the legal mess of it and being challenged all the time about like, well, she doesn't look depressed enough or she doesn't act right. like she's injured or this. Like, right. I just try all the time to have a brave face and and not burden anybody else with my issues and what I'm going through. And um, I guess that's largely a part of why I created this podcast because it's cathartic for me. It helps inspire me. It helps keep me going. Learning from people like you and hearing you say just the words. It's so funny because before you said, don't give up, it was like something was telling me that's exactly what she's going to say right now. She's going to say, don't (laughs) give up. Like Christina, you can't give up. And even though there are moments of every day where I feel like giving up. I know that I have my husband, my family, my friends, good people in my life Mm -hmm. that encourage me. And, um, and, and that's why I keep going. And so your advice, although I haven't been through what you've been through, really helps me to, to believe that there's something more for me. And, of course, there's something more for you and for anybody else who's going through something. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. And once you get there, you can look back and be like, oh, wow, that's why this happened. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's not until you're at the end where you it's can not. kind of see. It's dark in the tunnel before you get out. <laughs> it's true. It it's dark. It and is. But there's always a reason for everything. And and that's what I hope that people can take away from this. Absolutely. And um, and you just have to stick with the things that keep you going, whether that's going to church, hanging out with your family. Yep. You know, in my case, I like to meditate a lot. I journal often, and um, I just accept just accepting where you are is is a big thing, and yeah. knowing that there's something better coming, and having that belief. Well, and you just exemplified exactly what what's in my heart. It's like, no, you didn't lose your child, but we've got loss. Like, we've got that in common. It doesn't matter what you lose. It's it's like, we all have those feelings. Like, we all, there were days where I had a brave face on and someone 
would never have even known that I had just lost my daughter. Like I went back to work basically two weeks yeah. after, which is insane. When I think about that now, I'm like, you're, you're crazy. Like, I don't even know how I did that. I don't advise. I just want to say, do not advise anyone to do that. Um, but yeah, I thought you were a nut. You know, right. I was like, how is she back at work? <laughs> I remember talking right. to our friend Eric. I'm like, she doesn't have to go back to work. Right. And he's like, that's what is going to make her better. That's yeah. Tina. But so I will say that it's so important just for, like, for you to be able to even share that with me is why I think it's so important for us to just stop tearing each other down and just let ourselves be vulnerable because regardless of what it is, we've all got something. Like that person who's being a jerk, you know, they've got something going on. They're just, you know, not saying it or whatever. And I think that I love having conversations like this. It's hard. It's, It's so hard to talk about these things, but it's important for us to be able to care for ourselves and care for each other. You know, it's important to just be honest about it and just say, yeah, like not everything is fantastic. We live in an age with like, you know, filters and Instagram and social media and all this stuff. And like, we all do it. Like we're, you know, I mean, I'm not posting pictures of Mia on Facebook, you know, but I think it's important that even if you're, you know, just don't get caught up in that. Don't think to yourself, oh, everybody else has it all together. Cause they don't, they're hurting about something too. And you know, maybe dealing with it better, maybe dealing with it worse. You never know. It's true because my my personal Instagram, I share a lot with people and I don't post as consistently as I should. And that's largely in part because I don't feel so inspired all the right. time. It just, it is what it is. I'm going through this chapter. I was Mrs. Motivation before I got injured. I kind of killed her off after I had to (laughs) leave my job. I tried to like be a million different. I was like, I'm going to be the Christina Clemente. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And I think it was Eric who, our mutual friend, Eric, who I did a previous episode with, he sat me down and he was like, you are Mrs. Motivation, even though That's you're- funny. I was just going to say exactly that. Like, he's like, you, even though you're going through this shit, this is just who you are. You need yeah. to bring her back to life, you know, like even- he, And it's a part of you and who you are. Right. And so yeah. I, I brought her back and, and this is the name of my account. But I, like I said, don't post as consistently because there are days where I just don't feel like me and- I bring up some in some of my posts that I am suffering from PTSD and depression mm-hmm. and anxiety. And so this morning I woke up and I wanted to write this whole post about how I have a brave face, but I'm still really suffering on the inside and I don't know what to do about it. And if anybody needs help, like mm-hmm. I'm here for them and I'm very accepting of where I am. And I sat down and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make this post because no one wants to hear my pity party. You know what I mean? And I felt like, how many times can I really bring it up? And and am I like beating a dead horse by telling people how upset I am? And I think that's because it's, you know, the stigma that's been right. put on to mental and emotional health. Absolutely. And, you know, and then I also hear my mother in my head and God bless her. I know she doesn't mean any harm and I can't take it personally. Like how you said, Mm -hmm. she'd be like, well, now all my friends know that you're depressed. Why do you have to share everything with the world? And I'm like, because 
this is something that I I want to express to people because there are people who feel like this all the time. Right. This is why people and feel it's not safe to say that or it's and not. And this okay. is why people right. take their lives. Yes. Because Absolutely. they feel like they can't. They feel like they'll be shunned. Right. It's so sad to me, you know, that that people feel so closed off by society or by their friends or their family that they can't emote what yeah. they're really feeling. They can't be that vulnerable person. And then look at what could possibly happen to them. Absolutely. You know, if they didn't have a support system. So I, I definitely have taken a lot to turn it back on you. What you, I, I've taken a lot of your advice and we've had so many conversations that are not recorded, obviously. Right. <laughs> We're real friends. <laughs> But I actually... We really do have chats like this. (laughs) What you don't know, though, is that there's like one phone call that we have, and I probably have the notes in my desk. I was taking notes as you were talking to me, just like as a real person, like having fun. I'm like, okay, Tina says this. Tina says that. These are the things that I have to start living by because she's been through something. And I know that even though I'm going through something, I can survive. Tina has survived. I can survive. There are people out there. God bless them. I hope everything gets better for them that have survived even worse than, than either of yes, either of yes. our situations. Yep. So there's so many little things to be thankful for in life and so many reasons to keep going and to not give up and, and to push on. One of those things is that what's funny is that after, you know, Tina went through all of this in the midst of all of this, you know, I got injured and, and I ended up leaving that job. And so one day I just like wake up and I'm like, Tina's pregnant. And it was like so bizarre. So random. And I called our mutual friend, Eric, and I'm like, I know you would know. (laughs) So tell me, is Tina pregnant? And he like played this little, he was like, I I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you need to call Tina. Right. (laughs) And usually he's kind of like an open book. So, you know. He did not say anything. So I got I got her on the phone and I'm like, Tina, what's going on? I have a feeling that you're pregnant again. And sure enough, I was. Sure enough, you she was. Yes. And so tell me a little bit about how you got you felt safe and comfortable enough to get to that point where you wanted to have another child. That was definitely another thing that I did not touch upon previously when you asked me some of the emotions that went on after. But I definitely I always knew that I was supposed to be a mom, but after losing Mia, I really didn't know if I was ever going to get to a point where I felt safe enough or strong enough to have to try again. Honestly, I don't know that I did because as I said previously, Mia was planned. Well, my second daughter, Ava, Joya, she was not. And so I had a cousin. He passed away too, actually, just recently. I'm so sorry. And he delivered me and both my brothers. And he was actually a very straight shooter. He was an old school kind of guy. And he said to me, you know, because a lot of it's not pretty right after you give birth. But, you know, he's like, oh, you got your breasts are really uncomfortable right now. This was after I gave birth to Mia. And he was like, well, someday you're going to be really thankful that those breasts are filled with milk because you're going to feed your next baby. And, you know, and he was just very, he said the things that people probably would not say to someone. But He, if you go to the support groups, um, they will tell you to wait about a year before you try again. And I totally understand why. And I didn't feel like I was at a place, but he was not a proponent of that. He said, there's no reason to wait. Your body's fine. Like, you know, and he was very, and we, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I mean, I was not thinking at all about 
having another baby. I didn't even know if I was going to be able to emotionally do that, but happy accidents. And luckily my husband and I were still not being careful because we were kind of in the upside down. Like we were in limbo. And so we had been trying for Mia and hadn't had to try very hard. So it was like, what were we left to do after losing her? It was like to continue trying felt horrible to stop trying felt horrible. Like it was like, you know, we were in this weird place. So we kind of were just like, whatever happens, happens. We're not thinking about it. And sure enough, in October, I found out that I was pregnant, not planned. I didn't know. I actually just was feeling a little funny and I had, I was losing weight steadily because obviously I was five, five months pregnant with, with Mia when I lost her and I was losing weight steadily. And then all of a sudden I stopped losing weight and I was like, hmm, that's funny. And I felt a little strange and something, something told me to take a pregnancy test and I was by myself. I didn't want to take it in front of my husband because I didn't want to get his hopes up or have him react poorly. I mean, I didn't really know what his reaction was going to be. And I took a test and I did what it said to do. I set a timer for five minutes and I checked it after five minutes and it was negative. It was in the morning before I was going to work. And so I threw it in the garbage and I got into the shower and I didn't even know how I felt about it until that moment. And I just started, it sounds ridiculous, but I started crying in the shower and it was like very emotional for me. And I didn't even know why I was crying because I wasn't trying to get pregnant. And I got out of the shower and I was standing there and I actually really heard something say, look at it again. Like something inside of me was telling me to look. So I actually went into the garbage and pulled the test out. And sure enough, there was a second line there. And to the point that I actually texted my sister because I thought I was going crazy a little bit. I was like, okay, I'm so emotionally messed up from losing my baby that I'm now convincing myself that there's a second line on a pregnancy test. I'm, I'm that person who's losing it. No, all kidding aside, I actually did this. I texted my sister and I was like, I need you to look at this picture because I don't know if I'm seeing things. I don't know if I'm going crazy because I was still grieving. I mean, I was still not in the best place, but it turned out that in fact, I was pregnant. Mia has a little sister. Her name is Ava, as I said before. Being pregnant with her was kind of similar to what you just said. I mean, it was certainly a PTSD. It was like, you know, feeling scared, feeling worried. I had to go to doctors every other week. I went to the doctor probably three three times a month while still working, which although it sounds stressful, it actually was for my anxiety brain helpful because even when I had just enough time to like work myself up into like, oh my God, this is all going to happen again. I would go to a doctor and, and get to see her or get checked out and be fine. And my little Ava was like Goldilocks. She was not too big, not too small, just right. Like every time. I mean, honestly, God and her sister and my Nana and all these people, I say it all the time that I really believe that they made my pregnancy with her completely uneventful. Every test came back normal. Every appointment went well. I mean, it was like your textbook pregnancy, although I was there every, every other week, basically. But she is fantastic. I love her so much. She is now seven months old. She just turned seven months old. She's beautiful. Thank you. Her middle name. So both of my daughters were named, their middle names came from my nonna who passed away. So Conchatina was Mia's middle name. That was her name. And Ava, her middle name is Joya. And that means joy in Italian. And it's what my nonna called me my entire life. She did not call me Tina. She called me Joya. She was my Joya, my Joya. Come sit down here with me. But you were also and, named. So you're. People, and my first name is also Conchatina. Right. So after her. So she was a very 
integral part of my life. And even since she's been gone, I mean, she is a lot of the reason that I am who I am today. Definitely. I did not have an after school program. I had her. That's what I did. I hung out with my nonna. And so my daughter truly exemplifies that. I mean, she is a joy. 99.9% of the time she is smiling and laughing and happy. And I cannot imagine my life without her. And again, because it's all a constellation of emotions, there's the truth in that is that there was guilt associated with that too. I mean, if it's, it's such a complex thing. So I can't imagine my life without her, but the truth is that I still love Mia and miss her and wish that she was here. But the truth is that if she was here, Ava would not be. So I believe that both of my girls have given me different gifts that they've both um, helped to make me into who I am. And I've always said that she will always know, Ava will always know that she was our second, that she had an older sister who is her angel and will be with her always. And I believe in my heart that she, I mean, my daughter, no kidding, she will, there's this one corner of the bedroom that she will stare at and just smile. She will just smile and laugh. And there is nothing there. There's actually nothing there. I mean, I've looked, I'm like getting down at her level. I'm like, what's going on? Am I missing something here? But she, I really believe that, I believe that her sister is with her. I believe that she watches out for her. It doesn't mean it's, it's that I don't have my moments. I mean, she got sick when she was about four months old and talk about PTSD. I mean, I was in a panic. Like I felt like I was, I felt like I was going to lose her. Like it was, it was such an irrational response, but I totally get where it comes from because when you go through these traumatic things, and this is why I'm such an advocate for like, be open, be honest, because while people around me would never have known, like when, when Ava was sick recently, not recently, but like since she's been born and my, even my mom and my dad were like, why are you so upset? Like she's got like, she's wheezing. Like she's going to be all right. And I had to say, I had to be honest with them and just be like, guys, like right now in my mind, even though I know this is crazy, like I'm going to lose her too. Like that's what I was thinking. And I knew it was irrational, but it was my reality for that period of time. And so I think it's, it's really important to just be okay with saying like, I'm not strong all the time. Like I'm, I don't know that I am strong. I mean, I'm strong, I guess, enough to, to be here talking about it and to still be going. But I still have days where I'm like, you know, like when she was sick, like I said, I'm like in a panic thinking like she's going to die too. And what gets me through it is just being honest about it and talking about it. And, but she really has been such an incredible blessing. And like I said, she, I believe that her sister is watching over her. I really do. I believe she sees her sometimes. And I did not plan I, I did not plan to have another baby so, so quickly after, but she ended up being a really, a big source of healing for me. I had no interventions in my pregnancy with Ava other than just monitoring. They just checked me more frequently. I didn't have any hormones. I didn't have any stitches put in my cervix. I didn't have anything. And so my journey into bringing her into this world really did a lot of work on healing me too, in a way. Um, I think I gave her life. I think I gave myself some life back too, because I think there was always a piece of me that felt like my body had failed me and it had in turn failed Mia. While there is nothing wrong with needing hormone therapy or needing a stitch in your cervix or needing in vitro to get pregnant, for me personally, being able to carry Ava to term without those things kind of healed me a little bit in feeling like in a weird way, that what happened with Mia was my fault. Like being able to 
being able to bring a life into this world and actually be able to take her home was even more of a gift than I ever could have imagined. And I remember the first couple of weeks that she was here, I would just look at her and start crying. Like actually just tears of joy. And and my my family would look at me and be like, what's going on? And I'd be like, she's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And And honestly, that's another gift that her sister gave to her is that Mia made sure that Ava has a mom who will never take a single second for granted. And if that means that my house is a disaster or that, you know, we don't eat dinner until 930 o'clock at night or that my house has not been vacuumed in a couple of weeks, that is a gift that Mia gave to Ava that I am fully able to just be like 20 years from now, I'm not going to look back and go, you know, I probably should have washed that last dish in the sink that night. No, I'm going to think I should have sat on the floor and played with my baby or let her lay on my chest for 30 minutes to sleep just because it felt really nice breathing together. And so that is what my evenings have become. I I went back to work very shortly after she was born. So I work all day and then I come home and I spend all evening with her until she goes to bed. And then after she goes to bed, it's like the rat race of like, okay, let's get everything ready for the next day. Let's cook and sit down. And my husband and I eat dinner together, but I would not change it for the world. Yeah. So she gets my undivided attention from the time I pick her up and she is taken care of by her grandma and her nonno and her aunt. And she gets to spend lots of time with her cousins. And yeah, she is certainly the light at the end of my tunnel. And her sister is always going to be a part of our family. I mean, we have a stocking for her. We just had our first Christmas in our first home and we had a stocking up for her. And there was a little bit of me that was like, our family's going to think we're crazy, but you know what? We are crazy. So, you know, it's just, it's just our truth. It's just, yeah. we're, we're a family of four. It's just that there's only three of us here right now. I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's not crazy at all. I have ornaments on my tree. They're all different. Some are just clear bulbs with like an angel feather and glitter inside. Some are yeah. some are in the shape of angels. Some are in, in bell form because if you watch like Polar Express, like if you, right. if you hear the <laughs> yeah. bell, like the angel be- got its wings. Yeah, and, and you believe. But for every important person or family member that has passed in our lives, I, I make an ornament for them. And I like to give them as gifts some years, you know, and um, it helps me to believe that they're still a part of my life. Like they might not physically be here, but they still speak to me. Absolutely. They still guide me. They still bless me. They watch over me. And so I totally understand why you put that stocking up. I, you know, we, I actually went over to Tina's house with Eric, my friend, and we talked about Mia a lot. Yeah. And in front of Ava. In and, front of Ava, yeah. And with her husband. Yeah. And it just seemed like it was second nature to them. And it was a really beautiful thing, you know, that it's such a, she is still such a part of your life. And you're not trying to wish that moment away because a lot of people, no matter what they go through, whether it's a car accident or a stillborn, a miscarriage, an injury, no matter what it right. is. You know, there's a part of us that just wants to ignore that that thing happened. Right. And think about, oh, it could have been different or, you know. Yeah, and, and they get stuck on that. Like, Absolutely. if I didn't get divorced, my life would be different. If I, you know, married this other person, things would be different. 
you know, you don't get caught up in that. You're like, you acknowledge the event that happened to you. You understand it. You're okay with where you are. And you can see how that's shaped you into becoming a different person. And so Tina is a super hard worker. She's always put 100% effort into every little thing she does. And not that I wasn't as hard of a worker as her. It's just that I knew when school ended, my day ended as well. And without a doubt, Tina would be there until... <laughs> All until hours of the night. Like five o'clock. <laughs> Sometimes like five, I'll be like, Tina, where are you? Oh, I'm still at work. I'm like, it's freaking 530. Right, like, what are you doing? Are you getting the overtime <laughs> that like they didn't give out to people? Like I just... <laughs> couldn't fathom it and so the day that we went over to her house she was like oh I'm leaving work now I'm just gonna go pick up Ava and I'm like wait you're leaving work at 3 30 like really and she's like yeah so she still busts her butt at at that job and she's still an amazing teacher she still puts 100% into everything but her perspective now is that Ava needs her. Right. Like the kids need her during the day. Yeah. And she's, I'm sure, still takes work home with her. <laughs> I go early in the morning. Actually. <laughs> I knew there was a, some I sort of, it. I knew there was some sort of switch, but she now sees things so differently. Like, yes, those kids at work need me, but my kid needs me. Right. And she was going on and on, like apologizing. Oh, my house looks like this. And I'm like, you just moved in. Like just a few months ago, (laughs) you got that house. And somehow she has every room furnished. (laughs) It was, our baby was a month old and we were moving. I mean, it was insanity. It was, it was really good. And and so the house is beautiful. (laughs) Like I said, every room is furnished, which was hard for me to do. I mean, I was collecting furniture literally from off the street (laughs) for like bulk pickup (laughs) just so that people could see that I had furniture in my house. But Tina's managed to get all of this done, yet she still prioritizes time with her husband and child that comes first. And her feelings come first and just her state of mind always comes first now, which I think that, of course, in addition to all the growth that you've said, to me, watching you as your friend is a major change in you, you know? Yeah, no, I feel it too. I mean... I honestly appreciate you saying that because sometimes I don't feel like I have it all together. But hearing you frame it that way really means a lot to me because it has been a shift. I mean, I, I'm i very passionate about what I do at work. But as you said, it's like I give 100% when I'm there. But at 325, that's now, it's not even, honestly, it's not even my time anymore. It's her time. It's Ava's time. And so I tell myself that whatever I'm doing, it stays there. It stays. It stays. I have a table actually in my classroom and I call it the, the table of unfinished business. And so whatever I'm whatever I'm working on, 325 hits, it's time for me to go. It's because that's now her time. And then she gets my undivided attention. I mean, until until she goes to bed. She does because that's her time. So if she wants to rest, we rest. If she wants to play, we play. And yeah, I mean, and then my husband and I do stuff together after she goes to bed. And if we get a chore done, great. And if not, I mean, our house is lived in and we're happy. And <laughs> That know. was actually going to be my question to you. You know, going through all of this, people define happiness in so many different ways. And what would your definition of happiness look like? I feel like my definition of happiness is just, I don't know that I can define it other than just to describe like 
like a moment where I just feel like it's pure happiness. Like it's not even anything specific. It's just those moments where you feel like, like I go, like my daughter, the Ava, she sleeps in her own, in her own room. She sleeps in her crib. But in the morning when usually around like five, when she wakes up, I'll bring her into the bedroom with me and I feed her in there. And then she goes back to sleep with me for like an hour and she'll wake up and, and she wakes me up and then she's smiling and then she's reaching for Matt and then He's smiling and it's like on a Saturday morning where none of us have anything that we really need to like do to get out of bed. And it's like, that to me is like those pure happy moments. Like it's not, I don't need to be doing anything specific, just being surrounded by people that I love in that, in those peaceful moments. Yeah. That's like my idea of happiness, whether that's like, even like sitting here with you right now, uninterrupted, just dedicated, like like a friendship that we've nurtured for so long. And it's just these peaceful moments with the people around me that are so special in my life and being able to just participate in those moments without worrying about other things. I mean, I'm always, like you said, I'm, I'm a hard worker, 150%. And I'm thinking about like the 5,000 things that I need to do. And there's nothing that will try to help you let go of that a little bit. Otherwise you'll lose your mind other than having a baby. So you have a baby and it's like, I used to think everything needed to be done before I went to bed at night. And you know, that's what people honestly No, that's, but you will lose your mind if you try to live in that. Like you will, you have to just find a way to just like, let it go and be like, I'm not going to like, let go of everything. Like there's going to be some semblance of sanity to it all, but like perfection no longer is, is like the standard. It's, right. it's is everybody happy? Is everybody healthy? Is everybody whole? Like, right. that becomes your definition of perfection, not like the floors being clean or like the toys that are not put away or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just... That's honestly been... I don't know if that's like a good definition of happiness, but that's how I feel is. about it. You it know? is. I think that that's the best definition is how you feel is what your, is what your truth is. You're right. being authentic. And I think that that is the best definition for you because I think I interviewed someone else the other day and they're like, well, it's money. It's like me doing well at work. And I'm like, okay. Okay, that's no, your happiness. Right? No judgment to you, you know Absolutely. what I mean? And, you know, I have a lot of the same anxiety and OCDs that you have as far as, like, this has to be clean. Right. This has to be, like, <laughs> as soon as you walked in, I looked at the carpet on the floor that's rolled up. I'm like, yeah, I asked my husband to put that away, like, four days ago. And then three days ago and then two days ago and now it's here and now Tina's looking at it and now I'm <laughs> Which, embarrassed. Guys, just to let you know, I have no idea what carpet she's talking yeah. about. Like, that's the funniest part. Yeah. And so and I have- what we do. And this yep. is, that's like, yep. th- that's the thing I need to let go of. And so what's funny is that, you know, a lot of people try to counsel me through whatever I'm going through. And so many people have just said to me, just have a baby. Just have a baby. Like, yeah, you're going through this. <laughs> But let me tell you that once you have your baby, you'll think about none of this. You won't think about your quirkies. No. You won't think about your pain. You won't think no. about the floors not being mopped up with Fabuloso. Like, you will not think of any of this. All you will think about is the joy and, you know, what what your baby needs. It's true. It um, is true. So, yeah. So when you said that, it was just like... <laughs> I mean, you'll think about it, but it won't be a lasting thought. Like, sometimes I look around, I'm like, oh my God, this is not... <laughs> this is just not what what I'm like. Like, I don't understand, you know? I mean, how don't I don't even want to say how many times I've deep cleaned my entire house. It's embarrassing, but... <laughs> and I've lived there since August. So, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. But you have those thoughts and then you look around and you're just like... And there's this little human who is just looking at you and 
you quickly realize that like, if I look at her and I smile, she will smile. And if I look at her and I don't smile, she'll look at me inquisitively. And then she tries to smile to get me to smile. So it's like, you become very aware of yourself almost too. And just, you know, whether I want to, whether I feel like I'm going to panic or like, ah, I got to clean this floor. I, then I look at her and I'm just like, do I really want, do I want to send a message that that's more important than her happiness or than our relationship? And the answer is no. And so it's not that cleaning is bad. It's not that, you know, any of those things are bad. It's just that I think that she's really been, like I said, both my daughters gave me gifts. They both changed me. They both gave me different things. And one of the things that Ava has really given me is that too, is just being a lot more relaxed about that kind of stuff and being able to say like, I want, I want her to know that I think that cleaning is important, but that I will never put that over her, that I love her, but that, that it's never going to be more like that never going to be more than how I love her father. And I think that's important too, that like she came out of our love. That means that our love has to come first because if we're not okay, guess what? She's not going to be okay. If we're not okay in our marriage, then I'm not going to be okay as her mom. And so uh, my husband and I say all the time, you know, that our children will always know that we love each other and that we put each other second because God is first. And so that's kind of just the way that we, my husband heard it from a professor once and he said it to me and it struck me and it's like, you know, God's always going to come first in our relationship with God. And then our relationship with each other, meaning in our marriage is going to come second and then our kids come third. And that while it may seem like that's, backwards especially today it's like oh the kids the kids above everything else but I can tell you that that dynamic really does create a lot of happiness because we make sure that we're okay and that we love each other and that we spend time with with each other and then we're both better parents for our daughter and she's happy and the house is not clean but (laughs) who cares who cares because she's healthy and you know we have a roof over our head and so many other blessings so many other blessings yeah so many other blessings I'm just so thrilled that you came on the podcast today. So grateful for outside of the podcast, just your friendship, your guidance and your wisdom. Just knowing that you're my friend helps heal me. Like I said, the day that I was struck, I think that you were meant to be there for a reason. Anybody else, it would have, I think, turned out a little differently. But with the powers of our Nona's combined, everything worked out. But I really just am so grateful for you. And I appreciate you so much taking your time away from Ava today (laughs) on your, you know, when you're a teacher, like these breaks are very very valuable. So the fact that I got Tina out of the house and on her break. I think it's big and and I'm really, really grateful for it. And so thank you so much for not only coming, but being open, honest, authentic, raw, real, and sharing a very tough part of your life with me and with my listeners. And I truly believe that you'll go on to not help only just, not only just the people that are listening to this, but I think that you help people in everyday life just by being you. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me to come on. And I'm so blessed by your friendship too. And I'm really, really, I'm in awe of what you've created. I really am. And I'm, I am honored that you would ask me to be a part of it because I think that people really need to hear what you have to say, even if you don't think that they do all the time. Thanks. 
That's yeah. something that I'm still working <laughs> yeah. on. I am in therapy. <laughs> so that's something that we work on all the time. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that means a lot to me. It really does. And so again, I hope that, you know, you can come on again. We can talk about your passion for special education, what you do with the kids, because she's beyond <laughs> being an amazing mother and wife. She is an amazing teacher. She, I think that there were two teachers at that school that I honestly, truly admired. Um, was you and Sabrina. I'm sure that there were other teachers that were really well. So if you listen to my, my show and you work at Bosey, this is not an insult to you at all that I'm not mentioning you. <laughs> but there are people that go above and beyond. And, and Tina's one of those people. And she really, really does a huge service to those children and working with her side by side as her speech therapist. We helped. I know that like I can think of certain kids that we've really helped a lot. And, Mm -hmm. and that is something that I'll carry in my heart forever. It's not something I'll ever do again, (laughs) just, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but it is something that I will always treasure those moments. And so I really, really appreciate you just, continuing in our relationship growing together and and so maybe hopefully down the line you can come and share some of the things that you've been able to do with the students because your work is really amazing oh definitely i love that yeah do you want to be contacted at all by women who have gone through this oh i'm totally i'm absolutely open to that yeah so if you if you are someone who has gone through something similar to tina where can you be reached at so you can look, I am on Facebook. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. I have Messenger on there, but it's under Tina D'Amico Salveson. So T-I-N-A, D'Amico is spelled D apostrophe capital A-M-I-C-O, and then Salveson, S-A-L-V-E-S-E-N. Yes. Um, and you can message me on there and I will do my best to get back to you in a timely manner, but I'm always available for anybody who wants to talk. If you ever, if you have any other questions that you want to ask me, I mean, I'm an open book and just know that you're not alone and keep going. If you've been through what I've been through and anything else for that matter. Yeah. She's a great resource. I know that she not only coaches me, but a ton of other people up in that place that we worked at (laughs) or that I worked at and she currently works at because everybody's kind of a shit show in their own way. We are. So just keep swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Dory said it best. Yeah. (laughs) I know. You got to love that. That movie. Um, (laughs) It's true, though. You just have to keep going and and don't give up. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. And if you know someone with a story that I need to hear, feel free to contact me at chrissyclemente at gmail.com. Also, you can contact me through my Instagram at Mrs. Motivation. And until next time, guys, peace out. See you later. Bye.